It's Wednesday, May 25th, America, America again, and half the country seems unsure how to not make America, America again, so they're throwing their thoughts and prayers at the problem, which unfortunately may be the only thing that there isn't a shortage of in the United States these days. All the money, all the revenue made by posting today's show will be going towards the Texas Elementary School Shooting Victims Fund. If you'd like to also join in, I'll link down below. But uh, just as a warning, most of today's show is rage-inducing, which is where we're going to start things off light. Online creators punching each other in the face actually turns out it can be a good thing. Though it needs to be done in a very specific, regulated way with both parties consenting because iDubbbz's Creator Clash, it has now been confirmed, has raised $1.3 million for charity. With iDubbbz having been on the show last week, we knew they had raised over a million dollars, seeing $1.3 as a Amazing. Also, great to hear confirmation that Creator Clash 2 is happening. Now, while no specific date or lineup has been revealed yet, iDubbbz has said that big creators have reached out, including the likes of Valkyrie, with iDubbbz adding that, in fact, a lot of female influencers have reached out and they're interested in boxing, which is definitely exciting because Yodeling Haley and Justin Minx on that last card, one of the best fights of the night. So now a high bar in place, a lot of excitement, and hopefully this becomes a staple of the community at least for a while. And then, for the next story, let's go to Warsaw, Indiana, specifically the New Life Christian Church. And at the center of this story, you have their 65 five-year-old pastor John Lowe II. And the story and video goes absolutely viral in part because the pastor makes a stunning announcement to his congregation. I have an announcement for you. Uh, it's called a confession. I committed adultery. It was nearly 20 years ago. It continued far too long. It involved one person and there's been no other. I have been asked why did I wait so long to deal with it? Why hide it all these years? The answer? There is no good answer. I told myself for years, silence served to protect everyone. The other person, those closest to her, from the hurt and from the public embarrassment. And I'd like to think that was true. But the truth is, that silence was to protect myself as well. He then goes on to say that he's confessed this to his wife and his family who graciously forgave him and he asked for forgiveness from the congregation as well. Also announcing that he's stepping down from his ministry responsibilities in accordance with church bylaws and submitting himself to the recommendations of the board and he ends this speech with a standing ovation. And everyone thinks that's it. Confession, repentance, end of story. But no, part of the reason this story goes viral is that this takes a shocking turn. When a woman stands up, she takes the microphone and says it wasn't just adultery that Lowe abused her. For 27 years, I lived in a prison. It was not not 20 years. I lived in a prison of lies and shame. Saying that for years she thought she was a horrible person, had suicidal thoughts, and never realized what was truly done to her. That I was a victim and I would still be in a prison if my brother, and many of you know him, Edgar Wolf, had not approached me just two weeks ago with what he had seen as a teenager that bothered him all these years. Claiming that he saw Lowe in bed with her, his younger sister, and then dropping the bombshell that she was only 16 years old when he took her virginity on his office floor. If you can't admit the truth, you have to answer to God. You are not the victim here. I tried to tell someone, but all that was done was cover up. No one ever came to me. No one ever helped me. No one ever got me counseling. I have wanted to talk to somebody all of these years and never. You have. You have somebody that you've talked to. I never have. The church deserves to know the truth. This church has been built on lies, but no more. She then walks away. Her husband backs her up. And if the church goes silent, people get fucking pissed. If you did it, you need to admit it. That's right. 100%. You need to hear from 
Lo then gets back on the microphone. He kind of just doubles down. I told you I committed adultery. I told you that it went on far too long. Did you do it? Yes, we did. You didn't tell them she was 14 years old. No, at 16. Sorry, 16. Pastor John, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say, you got a pretty fucking shitty argument if you're like, no, she was 16 years old when you were her 38-year-old pastor, you fucking scumbag. And as far as the rest of the video, you have a number of people just continuing to express their disgust. He asked for forgiveness again. People then go up to support him. Which I will say, while I don't have an issue with like people who believe in God in general, I, I, I think one of the things that bothers me about organized religion is just the fucking hypocrisy. This pastor used and abused the power he had over his congregation, specifically a 16-year-old girl in this instance, and he preached one thing his entire life and lived another. But for a number of people, it's going to be all okay because he confessed and part of his congregation forgave him. But the only person that's actually able to, like, accept an apology in this situation is the 16-year-old girl that he fucked on his floor. She is, yes, now, all these years later, a grown woman, but there's always going to be a part of her that is that 16-year-old girl. Drama gets locked in, even if we don't realize it, for years and years. But Pastor John Lowe II will probably be fine because everything is bullshit and nothing matters. Hypocrites in power seem to continue to stay there, especially when they have the power of the invisible man on their side. And then, you know, over the last two years, we've gotten used to things like work from home, school from home, but in Shanghai, things have descended into a special kind of absurdity thanks to their extremely strict lockdown. And specifically, I'm talking about a decision made by Shanghai University last week in preparation for finals. Right? Students need to complete a 50-meter swimming test before graduating, but with COVID, the school got a bit antsy and not wanting a last-minute outbreak to screw up the graduation process, they go, I got an idea. Why not make it remote? Make the students take a swimming test online, which is why maybe you've seen clips like this now on the internet. Now, to be clear, they did not require students to swim in their beds, but some did just to ridicule the administration. Like, this guy just can't help but respect for doing a perfect dive onto his mattress. Actually, though, students have to complete an online basic theory of swimming tests before May 29th. But still, immediately after it was announced, the hashtag Shanghai University Swimming Test changed online assessment, which, by the way, longest fucking hashtag ever. But regardless of the length, it went viral, getting over 120 million views on Weibo, China's social media platform. With people posting things like, this is just embarrassing coming from a reputable university. Another asking, are the students supposed to swim in their bathtubs. Also, I think an aspect of this story that's been overlooked is just the weird reason they have to have the swimming test in the first place. Apparently, some of China's most prestigious universities require students to do it before they graduate because swimming is considered an essential survival skill and improves physical fitness. Because, like, I'm all for betterment, right? The more skills you have, the better. But it's kind of fucking weird when, like, someone's going to your college to become, what, a computer program and you're like, you may be doing it on a boat, so I'm gonna need to see that backstroke before you get the degree. Anyway, it's just kind of a silly, funny story that uh, I felt like I needed to share because I needed at least two things in today's show that didn't make me want to hurt somebody. But from that, I want to take a quick second to tell you about how I've improved my sleep with today's sponsor, Beam. Sleep affects everything from mood to weight, hormones, performance, and energy levels, so improving your quality of sleep is the fastest way to up your wellness game. And Beam's new flavor, Sea Salt Caramel Dream Powder, is their most decadent, healthy hot cocoa yet. It contains five powerful natural sleep-promoting ingredients such as nano-CBD, reishi mushroom extract, magnesium, I-theanine, and melatonin. It's third-party lab-tested, contains no THC, and is trusted by top athletes 
athletes to help them get their best sleep and recovery. If you experience sleep difficulties, Dream Powder is for you. I'm hooked. It helps me wind down from hectic and sometimes stressful days, fall asleep faster, and stay asleep. Also, the sea salt caramel flavor launches today. It's only available with my link. And for a limited time, Beam is upping my discount from 35% to 40% off. So head on over to beam.com slash Franco. Use code DeFranco to get 40% off your first month subscription and 20% off all recurring orders. Plus, free shipping always and a Beam mug and frother with your first order. But this offer is only available here for a limited time, so jump in. And then, I want to talk about one of the most brazen cases of injustice in our country right now. And at the center of this story, you have a man by the name of Crossley Green. And in fact, because of recent news, this story may actually get worse. So to, to go back to the beginning, we have to go back to 1989. That's when another man by the name of Charles Flynn was found shot dead in a Florida citrus grove with his ex-girlfriend Kim Halleck, who was with him the night that he died, telling investigators they had been robbed and their truck hijacked. Now, both of them are white. Kim claims that the suspect is a black man. So when she sees Green in a photo lineup, she picks him, even though his lawyers have described his photo as the smallest and darkest one on that lineup. But still, he ends up getting arrested for kidnapping, robbery, and murder, with him then sentenced to death the next year by an all-white jury. But right off the bat, a few things don't add up. First of all, there is absolutely no direct evidence linking Green to the crime. Second, Green claims that he was at a party the night of the murder, which 10 witnesses have backed up. Third, the shoe prints found at the scene do not match what he was wearing. And fourth, just plainly, Kim's story doesn't make a lot of sense. Right from the time Flynn was killed to the time she called 911, there was about an hour missing, plus she gave the deputies the wrong directions. And there's other details in her account that just contradict each other or the available evidence, like who tied Flynn's hands, how many shots were fired, and the hairstyle of the shooter. Which, in fact, is why investigators suspected the ex-girlfriend, but according to a judge, evidence suggesting this was withheld by prosecutors during the trial. So for those reasons, the same judge overturned Green's conviction in 2018. However, the state of Florida quickly appealed that ruling, and he had to stay in prison until the Court of Appeals could make a decision. Until April of last year, that is, because a district court approved his release, setting Crosley Green free after 32 years and 10 months behind bar, half of his life just gone, leading to this incredibly emotional video of him reuniting with his family for the first time. But of course, he wasn't totally in the clear yet. There was still the appeal hanging over his head, but he was optimistic, telling CBS, I gotta be honest with you, I really don't believe I'm going back. I really believe that deep in my soul. I'm not going back to prison. But sadly, it looks like he may have been wrong because after a year of being free, now 64 years old with a beard gone white, he might have to go back to prison. With the Court of Appeals throwing out the lower court's decision to overturn his conviction, resulting in Green holding a press conference with his supporters where he gave this heartfelt speech. Yes, a wrong has been done to me. With the grace of God, I hope it will be straightened. And later adding, I got family I want to be here for. You know what I mean? And I ain't gonna say it ain't possible, nothing like that, but I, I will say this, son. The good Lord brought me this far. He's going to continue to carry me. His older sister also speaking. He brings us more together than further apart. And just being out there with him on holidays, it's just like him being my little brother all over again. So Green's defense is requesting for his case to be reheard, and they expect a ruling on that to come any day now. Like literally any day now, they expected a ruling last Friday, so it's possible it might happen by the time you're watching this. Which is why we reached out to Gene Thomas, one of the lawyers representing Green, pro bono for the firm Crowell and Mooring, who told us. This is a case um, we describe as as um, as a racial hoax, in effect. And the police and uh, who investigated the crime and the prosecutors put together a case um, against Crosley based on false testimony, 
in which they coerced from a number of witnesses who claimed a trial that Crosley confessed to him and have since recanted that testimony. It's very difficult to prove um, that Crosley um, you know, was wrongfully convicted based on the testing of physical evidence because there is none. Thomas also adding that she thinks that prosecutors are just trying to do whatever they can here to win the case. Many of the former prosecutors and other prosecutors that we've talked to, um, law professors, et cetera, will, will tell you that it's, it's the prosecutor's job to seek justice and to seek the correct result, not a prosecutor's job to do whatever it takes to get a conviction at any cost. And we think that's what happened here. And saying of Crossley and his relative freedom over the past year? Crossley is just one of the, the strongest um, and, and most positive individuals. And it's really remarkable given what he's been through. And finishing by saying that if their situation here fails, then the next step would be to ask uh, the governor of Florida to pardon Crossley based on based on all of the evidence. Young folks can can get highly motivated and we've seen what sort of impact they can have on social justice issues. And the truth is that if this happened to Crossley, it could happen to anybody. And the, the ruling that we're appealing right now really says um, that it's okay for the state to cheat in this way, to withhold evidence that's favorable to the defense in order to get a prosecution. And we think that the, the call to action here is that people should care about that issue and they should care about whether convictions are wrongfully obtained or whether prosecutors are required to play by the rules. And then, like I mentioned at the top of today's show, finally, of course, today we need to talk about the tragic and do not call it unthinkable because it happens so fucking much in this country, it's ridiculous, the tragic and horrific mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. With a school shooting in Texas leaving 19 children and two teachers dead, it is the second biggest school shooting in American history after Sandy Hook, where a gunman killed 20 small kids and six adults almost exactly a decade ago. According to officials, 17 other people were injured but remain in good condition. And while this is still a developing situation. There are many details that remain unknown. Let's break down what we know so far. So shortly after the attack, authorities publicly identified the shooter as an 18-year-old man who attended the nearby high school and was killed by police at the scene. During a press conference this morning, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and other officials said that before heading to the school, the suspect shot his grandmother at her house nearby. She managed to alert authorities before being transported to the hospital where she is alive and in critical condition. After shooting his grandmother, the killer stole her truck and fled, crashing it down the road near the school. According to Abbott, officers with the school district approached and engaged the gun as he ran up with an AR-15, but ultimately he was able to get around them, access the building through a back door, and run down the hallway before entering a classroom. And in a series of interviews earlier today, a spokesperson for the Texas Department of Public Safety said that the shooter had barricaded himself in the classroom he had entered, which was composed of fourth graders, and he began shooting at those inside, also confirming that all of the 21 people who were killed by the gunman were in that one classroom. Reportedly, when officers arrived at the scene and tried to enter the building, the gunman opened fire, hitting some and prompting them to break windows around the school to try and evacuate people trapped inside, with eventually a tactical enforcement team arriving and forcibly entering the school, exchanging fire with the shooter before they were able to ultimately shoot and kill him, ending the massacre. All of which took place just two days before the school was set to let out for summer. Now, right now, law enforcement officials have not publicly identified a motive. In the presser today, Abbott said that there was no forewarning about the attack except a series of three posts on Facebook made about 30 to 15 minutes before he arrived at the school saying he was going to shoot his grandma, that he had shot his grandma, and that he was going to shoot up an elementary school. Notably here, although Abbott seemed to imply the Facebook posts were public, a spokesperson for Meta disputed that description, saying that 
that there were not posts, but private one-to-one text messages. Now, as far as what we know about the suspect, officials say that he was a high school dropout with no criminal record or history of mental health issues. But despite that, Abbott and others still spent a good deal of time during their conference claiming that the attack was the result of a mental health crisis and calling for more resources instead of common sense gun restrictions. Reportedly, people who knew the suspect said that he was bullied intensely in school, frequently missed class, had a hard home life, and lashed out violently at those around him. Also, according to reports, about a year ago, the suspected shooter posted pictures of automatic rifles that he, quote, would have on his wish list on social media. Just a few days before the shooting, he posted a photo of two rifles with a caption, my gun picks. And in today's press conference, the director of Texas Public Safety said that in mid-March, the gunman purchased 375 rounds of ammo and two semi-automatic rifles, including one that he used at the school. But very notably here, that appears to contradict reports from multiple people briefed on preliminary investigatory documents that said that the gunman had purchased both guns within the last week, just after his 18th birthday. But because those were preliminary, it is possible that the information just was not correct, though as of recording, it was still being widely reported. Just based off of the limited background we have on this guy, it's clear that he matches the profile of mass shooters that we've seen, unfortunately, time and time again. Or because school shootings, those are more American than apple pie. A classic American tale of mass murder of children from gun violence and knowing that literally no one in the fucking government's gonna do anything because of the way that it's split. For those of you that have been with me for a while, I mean, how many fucking times have we had to talk about a story like this? It hasn't even been two weeks since the last huge mass shooting when another 18-year-old man shot and killed 10 black people at a supermarket in Buffalo. And just this past Monday, the FBI released data showing a rapid increase in public shootings in America, with a report finding that the number of active shooter attacks increased by 52% in 2021 from the year before, which marks a shocking 97% increase from 2017. But despite all of this, the GOP responded to this latest tragedy with their consistent and foolproof plan to prevent this from ever happening again, offering thoughts and prayers. With the NRA's favorite son, Mitt Romney, tweeting, Grief overwhelms the soul. Children slaughtered, lives extinguished, parents' hearts wrenched, incomprehensible. I offer prayer and condolence, but know that is grossly inadequate. We must find answers. He said while looking at the answer key for the test. Representatives Tom Cotton and David Perdue offering the same meaningless and unproductive thing. Also, in case it's unclear, those numbers underneath their names are how much the NRA has spent in support of them, which it's funny. So many of the politicians that are only offering thoughts and prayers seem to be favorites of the NRA. That's weird. Governor Greg Abbott also speaking out on this issue, though online most people saying, shut the fuck up, you're part of the problem. With responses from Texas politicians seeming to strike a particular chord with people because the state's GOP has actually loosened gun laws in Texas in recent years. With the Texas Tribune noting that even though Abbott has considered things like red flag laws, the state has instead passed laws that gave teachers more access to guns and allowed for Texans to conceal carry handguns without a permit. I mean, just back in September, Abbott signed laws that made it easier for people to carry guns and banned local agencies from enforcing federal gun rules. With seemingly a lot of the frustration towards Republicans being they're not just doing nothing to prevent these shootings, but they're actually going in the opposite direction by relaxing gun laws. Which is why there's been this massive swell of responses from Democratic politicians, families of victims of previous shootings, and just all kinds of people saying, when will enough be enough? With the likes of Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy going on the Senate floor yesterday to say and question. What are we doing? Why do you spend all this time running for the United States Senate? Why do you go through all the hassle of getting this job, of putting yourself in a position of authority? If your answer is that as this slaughter increases, as our kids run for their lives, we do nothing. What are we doing? Why are you here? If not to solve a problem as existential as this. This isn't inevitable. These kids weren't unlucky. 
This only happens in this country. You also have the likes of Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr making an emotional plea during a pregame press conference. When are we going to do something? Well, I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. You realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check. 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refused to even put it to a vote. You also have the likes of Manuel Oliver, whose son was killed in the Parkland shooting, going on CBS and slamming the politicians, sending their hearts and prayers. The families don't need your freaking hearts. They need their kids. And the kids are not there anymore. So I, I feel very angry, um, offended, and I, and I just don't understand how come a whole society uh, doesn't wake up. Parkland survivor David Hogg calling for action. So we think it doesn't have to be this way. The way we will make this time different is by Americans on both sides of the aisle collaborating on what we can agree on to get something done, even if small. Kids are dying, we have to do something. This is a choice. Make this time different. Also big names speaking out, notably you had Matthew McConaughey, whose hometown is actually Uvalde, writing on social media, we have tragically proven that we are failing to be responsible for the rights our freedoms grant us. The true call to action now is for every American to take a longer and deeper look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what is it that we truly value? This is an epidemic we can control and whichever side of the aisle we may stand on, we all know we can do better. We must do better. Action must be taken so that no parent has to experience what the parents in Uvalde and the others before them have endured. With many, including the likes of Ethan Klein, pushing back on this idea of the only change is just no guns whatsoever and no way. Tweeting, why do conservatives think that gun reform means banning all guns? I own a gun. It means implementing common sense reform like tighter background checks and limiting the sale of deadly rifles, high volume ammunition clips, dangerous gun modifications, Etc. And I think the the final thing that I want to mention with this is I'm just I'm just fucking tired. I don't I feel like I've been drained of the ability to be sad, and the only thing that can fit there now is rage, exhausted rage, which is why I'm furious when I see people like fucking Tucker Carlson or any fucking talking head right winger that's like it's too soon to politicize this. It's not politicizing. It's trying to find a fucking solution. Like, do you know that you're full of shit, or just you know it's too soon to talk about it as a muscle memory thing? This is one of the many reasons I say don't call them pro life. They're pro birth. Once you're out of your mom, fuck you, former fetus. You can call for bipartisanship as fucking much as you want, but seems like the same players stopping progress here. Our country is diseased and many of the people put into power are denying you the medicine. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. Of course, I'd love to know your thoughts in those comments down below, but my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.